and welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, broadcaster Helen Fosbury. I've read a lot about Wim Hof and the health benefits, backed up by science, of his cold water method, which is practised all over the world. Films of the Dutch elite athletes sitting in ice holes for long periods of time, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in shorts, running a half marathon above the Arctic Circle barefoot, embracing nature and the extreme cold have held a real fascination. And hardly a day goes by when I don't flick through images on socials of people taking the plunge, so to speak, and experiencing cold water benefits, either in a tub or while swimming. So when I spotted a friend on Instagram in her swimming costume, neck deep in a tin bath of freezing cold water, ice cubes floating on the top, under the expert guidance of Belinda Raphael, I decided it was time to pluck up courage and try it. Belinda is a nurse practitioner in critical care and certified Wim Warrior, such a great name, and has recently returned from an expedition with the Iceman himself in Poland. Yesterday, I spent four hours under her expert tuition at her home studio in London, learning some of the Wim Hof method, culminating in climbing into that very same ice-filled tin bath, just one degree in temperature, hoping to experience the magic. Belinda, 24 hours later, it's lovely to be back here in the warm, fully dressed, feeling exhilarated by the whole experience. I definitely felt the magic. What an extraordinary afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. It's always so special to share it with everyone and lovely to see everyone's journey, even within a relatively short time of a half day workshop. It's really, really special to often witness the change and shift that goes on within an ice bath. There were lots of changes and shifts. And one thing that I really noticed was the camaraderie that built up between the 10 of us on your course yesterday, really willing each other to take the plunge and to enjoy it and to embrace it. There was a lovely team spirit atmosphere, wasn't there? I always say people's best self shows up and and it's, and it's not an ego thing. People genuinely reach out and support each other and connect in that personal challenge. And it's lovely to see them, them really showing up for each other. The other thing you said in your email beforehand is that you'll feel surprisingly ready for the ice bath after the course. And I just wanted to do it. I was really dying to find that perhaps in a warrior in myself and do it well. That's presumably because of the mindset work we did and all the breathing techniques. Yes, I think the mindset work is really important to shift it to a positive and a can-do attitude and to be prepared for that challenge. But also the breathwork is an amazing primer for the experience. So we did a guided breathwork deep dive journey just before, and I keep you surfing on those high hormones, and then we drift into the ice bath. So it really primes you ready for it. The water to me, Belinda, felt like boiling water. I felt like I was getting into really, really hot water. I felt a burning sensation. What is actually happening to your body as you're climbing into that one degree water? So as you're climbing in there, your body's obviously, your nervous system is having to adjust to a, a dramatic change in environment. And that's why we encourage people to go all in rather than half in. Because if you're half in, your body's saying, well, I'm in this warm environment, cold environment, or oh, I think I'm going to want to be in this warm environment. And you have this sort of inner battle going on. Whereas if you go all in up to your shoulders, then your body very quickly adjusts and says, oh, okay, we're all in. And how important at that stage when you're climbing in is the breathing? Really, really important. I always say the intake will come. So you have these fast breaths in 
and it's slowing down and focusing on the exhale. And that really gives you that coping strategy to deal with what is a challenging environment. Before we take a deeper dive, broadly speaking, just outline the benefits that have clearly been proven of cold water therapy. How does it help us? How does it make us feel well? So one big benefit is it has an anti-inflammatory effect. You get a big boost of adrenaline and that triggers a key messaging protein, which has an anti-inflammatory effect. It also boosts your immune system, which I think is incredible. It tricks your immune system into producing lots of white cells, your fighter cells, without a real threat there. It also increases your cardiovascular fitness. It also boosts your norepinephrine and dopamine. So those happy hormones that really give you a feeling of well-being as well. And I remember the figures from the session, the happy hormones are boosted by something like 250%, aren't they? Yeah. So there's a study that's been done where they put people for an hour. So an hour is a relatively long time, but it was at 20 degrees. So really not that cold and 14 degrees. And at 14 degrees, the norepinephrine went up 530% and dopamine up 250%. So these are really big, significant numbers. And if you replicate that, say at seven degrees with the three-minute cold shower, you can see you're still making really meaningful changes. So tell us, Belinda, your story and how you got into cold water in the first place. I always say to people, I was the least suited to this sport. (laughs) As my mother says, you couldn't you pick something else you maybe would be naturally more suited to. And whenever people come to me and say, oh, you don't understand, I really hate the cold. And I say, oh, no, I really do understand because I genuinely was that person as well. And for me, I come from a background of healthcare. So I've always been very black and white. There's Western medicine. I'm really quite dismissive of anything else out there. But unfortunately, I was attacked by a patient, not his fault. He had cancer that spread to his brain and became very aggressive and confused and attacked me. And I ended up with quite a serious neck injury that I thought was going to be a very temporary thing and turned out to be really a permanent injury. And chronic pain became my new normal. And for anyone who suffers from chronic pain, it really is a devastating diagnosis and life-altering. And that certainly was the case for me. I carried on my life as best I could. And I hit my second hiccup where I had four miscarriages, three failed rounds of IVF and one anaphylaxis, which ended up in a respiratory arrest. So for someone on the outside who looked relatively young and healthy, on the inside, I was really in a very, very difficult place physically, but also emotionally. And I sat there really for quite some time before I realized I just had to start moving. Painkillers hadn't really helped me. I'd obviously had some serious drug interactions. And for me, antidepressants hadn't helped. But that's not to say for other people, they don't have a real meaningful impact. They just hadn't worked in that way for me. So I'd lost my faith in Western medicine. And as I said, I felt the need to move, just physically try and move my body. I started yoga. And through that, I learned to connect with my body again and start to trust it. And I was then introduced to meditation. And that was really a key to unlock a whole new world for me. I couldn't believe how meditating could change my pain. It could change my mindset and switch me into a much more positive state of mind. And that was an incredible awakening for me. In one of my relapses, I decided I would book maybe a yoga retreat just to boost myself physically and mentally. 
And I still don't know how it happened, but I found myself Googling Wim Hof. And this was at a time when really people didn't know much about Wim Hof. I'd heard about this Iceman, but really there was very little media coverage of him. I found a trip that was going to the Czech Republic the following week, and I booked it. Very, very out of character for me. Um, <laughs> what did your mum say? She was absolutely terrified. She kept saying, you don't even need to get on the plane. Um, so I definitely wasn't getting a lot of uh, support in the background. <laughs> she was like, why don't you take up sewing? Um, so, and I was very nervous. I got this very confusing kit list, which was ice axe. They were very specific on crampons and, and swimwear. So it was a very mixed message they were sending out. And I thought, oh, I haven't done any cold showers. I better do one. And so I thought, right, I'll do a three-minute cold shower. Got a stopwatch. And I did 10 seconds. That's all I could manage was 10 seconds. And I was like, oh, this is way harder than I thought. But bizarrely, I was still going. And yeah, I stepped off that plane in the Czech Republic and felt like an absolute winner just for stepping off the plane. And I hadn't even done anything cold. And I always say to people who come to my workshops, for some people, it's a huge fear. So just to sign up and turn up, I never take that for granted. I always want them to be really, really proud of themselves just for taking that step alone without doing anything else. I think you're right. And it's lovely that you always make very clear that the ice bath is, is optional at the end, because then you haven't got that fear throughout the course that you're going to have to get in it. So when you arrived in the Czech Republic with your swimwear and your crampons and your ice pick or your ice axe or whatever you got, I'm quite sure how that, that would go down with the security at the, <laughs> at the airport. What kind of things did you do on that trip and what effect did that have on your, your mental well-being and, and also physically to your pain? It was an incredible trip. I think if I'd known in advance, I would have said absolutely no way I'm going to do any of these things. The first morning we got up, we walked out to a lake where they broke the ice and said, okay, everybody in. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, I'm very English. We'll do a course. We'll do health and safety. But they were like, no, you just need to go, go straight in. And I paused and I thought, oh, I can't do this. And then something really unusual happened for me. I said, no, I'm not going to think. I'm just going to go straight in and do this. And that's really nice for a lot of us who hesitate in life, think, oh, we can't do this, talk ourselves out, ruminate. Do I actually just have a moment like, I'm just going to go? It's really empowering to have that moment. I found it's really shut off the pain for me and, and I had an amazing effect on that. And the happy hormones, you just come out on an absolute high, feeling like you can conquer the world. And a sense of achievement and also the confidence that comes with that is really amazing. And to feel that switch in the water, I think I described it and I tried to in my classes describe how when I walked into that water, there was an incredibly intense feeling of losing my breath and also an awful lot of noise in my head and a lot of negative thoughts. And then I had a moment where like an inner coach turned up and I started to tell myself, you can do this. You have your breath. You need to slow your breath down. This is your choice. And that is incredibly special in our lives. And for me, it is when that positive voice turns up, because for a lot of us, I think we have a negative coach in our head quite a lot of the time. And it's a little bit of an inner battle. And so to turn up like that for myself was hugely, hugely powerful. It was like a switch went off and suddenly my mind went absolutely silent. And I just felt at peace in this space. 
And to see a, such a dramatic shift from one mindset to another in seconds, for me, I knew I was all in at that point. And did you know then that you'd probably like to train as a Wim Warrior and pass on some of that knowledge or did that come a little bit later? Yeah, at the time, there were only three girls on that course. So in the early days of Wim Hof, we were definitely outnumbered. I think people mistakenly thought it was an SES sort of survival course. So it's definitely a male pursuit. And I'm really encouraged that it's it's not that way at all. We're pretty much 50-50. And one of the three girls said to me, oh, maybe you'll train as an instructor. And I was like, absolutely no way. You know, I maxed out just doing this experience. I have no desire to be a teacher and I don't think I have the ability to do it. So for me, I came home from that experience and it just became a part of my life, a tool for me. But when COVID hit, for everybody, it changed all our lives. And for me, also the same. And I went to work back in the NHS And I'd been in private practice before. And it was a real bumpy ride to go back to the NHS, especially at a time like that. One hospital I worked in, in their intensive care, they'd not saved a single person in four weeks from COVID. And definitely we used to losing patients, but not on that scale. It was so dramatic that people who were young, fit and healthy, 12 hours later uh, were dying. And we couldn't have any next of kin. So you suddenly became the next of kin for these people. And it was extremely challenging for, for me and for all my colleagues. And I couldn't hide away my method. I realized quite quickly that it was lovely. Everyone was clapping for us and baking cakes for us. And all my colleagues were going home and having a big glass of wine. And I'm not a big drinker, so I didn't have that tool. And I went back to the method. I did my meditation. I did my breath work. I was doing my cold water swimming. And my colleagues started to ask about it. If I had five minutes, I would do a Tai Chi practice. I would do literally lying down the floor, doing a breath practice because I didn't have time to be shy about it. And I was really surprised how people actually just voluntarily came up to me and said, what are you doing? I can see a shift. I can feel a shift in you. And these were people, colleagues, doctors, very black and white people, didn't talk about energy, quite surprised that they could um, feel that change in me. And they said, you seem to have some coping strategies when we really don't. And so I started to talk about it. Um, Being medical, everyone's like, what is the science? And I thought, actually, I don't know enough about the science myself. I've kind of just gone with experience on this one. So I started to research it and I started to think about becoming an instructor and, and bringing it to my colleagues and bringing it to a wider audience. You were saying yesterday that sometimes you'd be waiting for an ambulance to pull in and you just have that few minutes of the Tai Chi routine that we did yesterday. So clearly you, you did bring it sort of out of the cupboard and people saw you doing it and saw the benefits that it had presumably in making you calm and ready to tackle whatever you were about to, to face. Even in a break room where there's lots of busyness going on, I could actually just meditate and shut out the world. And I think people, you know, (laughs) you're not blending that much when you're sitting in a corner meditating. It looks quite a strong experience sometimes. So, um, yeah, I think people really, really did see that shift. We could talk all week about the science. The benefits are compelling. So I am going to get you to give me a few examples in a few minutes. But I'm coming at this podcast from the benefit of hearing you already speak. So talk us through the Wim Hof method first. What's the aim and and the three pillars of the actual method itself? So the three pillars we have are breathing, cold therapy and mindset. And it's really nice now that people don't just associate it with Wim in the ice. They do recognize the importance of the breath work. And when you look at the benefits 
compared to ice cold therapy, you can actually see a lot of the benefits are very similar for breath work and for cold therapy. And mindset is really, really important work. We can see some studies on the impact of mindset alone. And in terms of science, the, the ones that really jumped out at me was the E. coli study was one of the fascinating things. Wims put himself through all sorts of things to prove his theories. Tell us about the E. coli study. In those early days, Wim fought very hard to get that science conducted. Now everybody wants to do the science, which is amazing. And we have so many new studies coming through, but he really battled hard to get that first study. And that was at the Radboud Institute. And they did a study where they injected him with E. coli. It was the endotoxin. So it's basically the dead shell of a toxin. It would give you side effects and you would expect someone to get flu-like response from that. So a fever, feel quite unwell, headachey, probably feel sick as well. And he did breath work to prime his body. And they found that his white cell count came up, his adrenaline came up, and he was managing to trick his immune system into fighting the E. coli endotoxin, and he had no side effects from it. That was incredibly groundbreaking to prove that scientifically something was going on within his body. And they then replicated that study in healthy young men who spent just four days with WIM and a group who'd worked with him. And then we had a control group who didn't. And they replicated his same results. So the guys who trained with him and did the breath work found that they had very few flu-like symptoms. And the other group, bless them, who hadn't worked with Wim, were struggling with some really grotty flu symptoms. And that was, again, really groundbreaking to show that it wasn't just Wim. He wasn't a freak of nature. He wasn't an anomaly. And that any person out there could replicate those results. Was there a lot of scepticism from the medical world when Wim's methods emerged? And were there a lot of naysayers, do you think, in the early days? Definitely. He was marginalised as a circus act in the very early days. People would say, let's get him to do something entertaining, a challenge. But he was always trying to get the message out of the science to the world. The other one that really gripped me was the story about Kilimanjaro. Now, I've turned down climbing Kilimanjaro a number of times, basically because it takes too long, five to six days you need out there. I think it's more than 6,000 metres high, so the air is very thin and I haven't really got time to train properly for it. But the piece of work that was done around the Kilimanjaro climb, again, I found really interesting. What happened there? Yes, so they got 26 volunteers who were not particularly young, fit or healthy. One of them had MS, one of them had cancer that had metastasized, so it spread to other areas of their body. So as a group, you would predict that this group weren't going to do particularly well climbing Kilimanjaro. And instead of doing it in, say, four to seven days, they said they were going to do it in 48 hours. So obviously, there was a little pushback from the medical community on this trip to do this. But they did the breath work and the mindset training before they set off for Kili. And they found that it largely prevented symptoms of acute mountain sickness in that group. And most of them reached the summit successfully. So that's an incredible real life situation of changing a predicted outcome for those people. I'm just fascinated by the breath. I told you that I don't think I breathe properly. I think I'm a shallow breather. I don't really think I use my diaphragm. And I have quite a fear of holding my breath. And I remember lying yesterday in your studio when we were doing the breath work and then we were going to hold our breath. 
And I remember saying to you, I, I usually get to about seven seconds and then, then I give in. And I was staggered at the end of four rounds of the breathing before we went into the ice bath. I asked you how long we'd been holding our breath. So the first round we did was at a slower pace and everybody held their breath for about 45 seconds. Second round was a minute. Third round was a minute 15. And the final round, I let people go for as long as they felt comfortable for. And I would say most of the group were around two minutes. I could sense they were taking a breath at that point. And what's the key, Belinda? Are we oxygenating ourselves through that fast, quite strong breathing we were doing, Mm. wasn't it? So those really active breaths, you take in a lot of oxygen at that point and you lower your carbon dioxide level. So we're changing your biochemistry, basically. And what happens is your natural drive to breathe comes when your carbon dioxide rises. So because we've lowered it quite considerably, it's going to take longer to get that reflex to breathe. But also it's about mindset. The more relaxed you are and the more you can soften your body and also your mind in that breath hold, the longer you can keep it. And I think I was saying to you, I have some people who are quite athletic, channel swimmers who've come to my workshops. And I know that their breath hold in the water and their lung capacity is really strong. But I've put them on land and put them in a workshop where they're slightly unfamiliar. And when we've done a practice round, they're like, no, I can't do it. And that is mindset and learning to adjust that. And I think freedivers work quite a lot on that themselves as well as the actual technique. I was visualizing, I was pretending I was a freediver. Somebody recently was telling me about freediving off the Jurassic Coast and how there's a certain ledge that for some reason you can't have your oxygen tank on. So to get beyond this ledge, you have to freedive. And on that last one, that's where I imagined I was. I imagined I was under the water and and exploring some creatures. And I know some people saw different colours when they did it, but for me, it was a a visualisation technique. And I think also getting into the ice bath, I felt I was using techniques like that. I was so determined that I was just going to get in and do it because I wanted to feel the magic that you said you start to experience when you've been in there a little while. And I completely got it. If you said now come on, let's do another one. I'd be completely up for it. I enjoyed it so much and definitely want to build it into my world as well as breathing because there are so many advantages, aren't there, to building just a small breathing practice into your daily life. Yes, I always say, you know, breathwork is an amazing tool because you carry it around inside you and it's for free. And it's like a variety box. There are so many different techniques that you can choose from. So you can really tune into how you're feeling that day and choose the technique. I like the Wim Hof breathing because it works with both your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system. And then you come back to a balance point. But I also use a lot of other breathing techniques where I'm just maybe focusing on my parasympathetic breathing technique. And it's a very little investment of your time. You can do a five-minute breath practice and come away feeling really very, very different. And it's portable. I do breath work on the underground. If you're having a really challenging time at work or you've got, say, a big presentation you've got to do, you can actually just do two minutes, five minutes breath work at your desk and change how you're feeling very, very quickly. It's such a stress buster. And in fact, you used it the other day. You were speaking in front of 700 people. In fact, you were doing breath work in front of 700 people. You used it to give you a sense of calm, didn't you, and confidence before you went on the stage to do that. Yes, for me, it's been a big transition. You know, if even if you told me a year ago I was going to stand up in front of 20 people, I would have still found that 
fairly stressful. So if you told me a year later I was going to stand up in front of 700 people, I would have said, absolutely, no way will I be able to do that. And the day of this particular presentation, I woke up and I was like, I'm feeling pretty nervous. I have that awareness of that doubt, of that difficulty in my challenge in my mind. And I said, okay, what are the tools I have? Okay, let me do a a three-minute ice bath. Let me do some breath work. Let me do some meditation. Let me walk there. The venue I realized was 50 minutes from where I live as a walk. I was like, let me walk there because walking outside, different environment and all these little skills you realize you have. And when I arrived there, I was like, I'm totally ready. I was really surprised how ready I was. And I think yesterday I had someone say, actually, I've got a really important presentation to give. This could be a real tool for me to do that and to perform at work. Wim is now known by millions worldwide. He's a household name. And I've heard about his method and seen, you know, these dramatic images of him standing in ice somewhere in a pair of shorts and smiling and his films he does on Instagram. But one thing I wasn't aware of was Wim's story. Why did he get into all of this? What's his backstory? So Wim's backstory is that he spontaneously went into the water one day he was in Beatrix Park in Amsterdam and just spontaneously went into freezing cold water so he I guess for him it chose him had a really profound experience working hard with his breath and so for him he realized that he needed to really channel his breath and that's when he became curious about the power of breath work obviously a really challenging thing to do and so that's when mindset and focus came in for him as well and he had this tool that he was using for himself for quite some time but yes to the outside world he definitely looked like a little bit of an interesting character and I I loved the stories that Laura and Isabel his daughters tell of him coming to pick them up from school in the depths of winter in a Hawaiian shirt shorts and sandals and then doing the splits in the playground and then going oh gosh dad (laughs) (laughs) clearly he wasn't blending (laughs) (laughs) and how did he get this nickname Iceman in the first place yeah he was being actually interviewed by a local news crew had heard of this what they thought was this crazy guy going into the ice and someone fell into the ice behind him not scripted at all and he instantly went in pulled them out and I think that's when they coined the term the Iceman so It's not a name he's given himself out of ego. It's something that has just sort of been been landed on him and he's very happy to, um, yeah. And through being popular now all over the world, he's done extraordinary challenges, probably usually driven by a TV show or a TV producer. What kinds of things has he done that have been really extreme? I think he's got 26 Guinness records, but many unofficial records as well. He's done a polar marathon barefoot in shorts. I think he said that the barefoot running, it was definitely one of his most challenging. He's also gone to the death zone at Everest in just shorts. He did for a while have the world record. I think one of the instructors has recently broken that of doing up to, I think, an hour and 50 minutes encased in ice. And he's also done some hot challenges. So he's run a marathon across the Namibian desert with no water as well. 
And yes, lots of other challenges. But he always says that people think he's crazy. And he always says, these TV people are crazy because they keep asking me to do these crazy things. And really, he just wants to get the message out there. That it can be really beneficial exactly. for our health. It can speed up your metabolism. You mentioned boosting the immune system. Mm. If you practice this, presumably, regularly or build some cold showers or some cold water exposure into your life, is it all about feeling those health benefits that that's what really drives him? I think for him, yeah, he's really passionate to see how much it can help people. But also in the winter expeditions where we push people a little further, you see people making groundbreaking changes to their whole future life. You see people really facing some of their demons, letting go and coming out of that a different person. And that's what he's really, really passionate about. And I think that's what keeps me in the method. And he's incredible on those trips. We have up to 100 people and sometimes he's a really larger than life character. But if there's one person who's really struggling in that moment, he's there for them. And as an instructor, we obviously go to help that person. And he says, no, I've got them. And he totally has that one person who needs him in that moment. You've taken a very beautiful picture of him, actually, that you showed on the screen yesterday. And I think you said to all of us that that photograph really shows what a special man he is, how kind he is, and and the presence that he has when you're on those expeditions. I love that photograph. He is a real charismatic um, guy, but also he is just a man at the end of the day. And it's really important that people realise that. And he's a real family man as well. And the Wim Hof instructors feels like a family to me that I feel really, really lucky to be part of. There's 900 of you now around the world and internationally. It's a fantastic organisation. And you've recently returned from a winter expedition in Poland with WIM. Give us a few examples of the sorts of things you were doing on that particular expedition and perhaps some of the changes that you saw in people when when they're pushing their boundaries. So on that trip, we had 87 men and 13 ladies. So definitely we were slightly outnumbered on the female participants, but hopefully those numbers will shift a little bit in future. And it's really interesting to see. We have a big diversity of ages, abilities, some people who've done a lot of ice, super fit, some people who really haven't and have come maybe with other other challenges. And on the first day, we break up into smaller groups. So in my group, I decided that we would take our group into the snow barefoot and I'd set myself a time of eight minutes for my group. It was very thick snow at that point, quite cold, but they were fully dressed and I was just asking them to go outside barefoot. I was just asking them to go out (laughs) barefoot for seven minutes I say that now. I do realise that now. I do remember my first experience being terrified myself. So I do try and rein myself on on that. But I remember they were very, very fearful, a lot of those people. And for some of them, they were actually on the verge of tears. So real, real fear coming up there. And I hadn't told them anything about time. We try to get people out of their comfort zone. So we tell them what to wear and then we go. So, we, But we don't give them any more details than that. So that's quite hard for people as a starter. And it was really, really challenging. So I just took them for a walk, not terribly far, but it was eight minutes for those people. And actually then when I got to a waterfall, I made them do a snow fight. And that was really just to get them out of their heads and in that playful laughter moment. And for a lot of them, it had walked super, super seriously seriously just to do that snow fight they suddenly forgot about their cold feet and they just like became children again and that was really nice what does it feel like when you're barefoot in the snow for the first time for a lot of people being barefoot anywhere is a really 
weird feeling. I think especially for us who live in London or live in, in an urban environment, just to go anywhere barefoot is we're so unconnected to the ground that we're so used to being footwear. So that was really, really challenging for them. A lot of people felt cold feet. They have poor circulation because they're not working those little muscles in their, their feet. So for a lot of them, they were definitely feeling cold feet. But on day four, so only four days later, we took them out in the dark and that we did a walking circle around Wim just with some drums. And they were in their swimwear at this point, barefoot again. And they did, I think, 50 minutes, 50 minutes in. And every single one of them did that and embraced it. Yeah. At one point, it became a little bit of an ice rink (laughs) 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 because they've been treading in the snow. But if you'd told them on day one that four days later, they would do that. And their cold adaptation had already started to kick in. So for the vast majority, they coped really well on a physical level, but also on a mindset level, they totally rocked it. And the mindset benefits presumably translate into day-to-day life and that you can take some of those when you're pushing yourself past your perceived limit or out of your comfort zone. Those are skills and tools that you can use at work or in your home life being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Yeah, it is learning to be comfortable in being uncomfortable and and find that challenge. And stress resilience, that's one of the biggest things. Um, Physically, you can see stress resilience on a cellular level from cold exposure, but obviously also on, on an emotional level as well. And the confidence that it gives people. And they remember that confidence and they template it and they can adapt it and bring it to a myriad of situations in their life. And and so it is so much more than cold that it gives, gives me and I think it gives other people as well. The other thing that I found fascinating yesterday before we got into the ice bath was the warm up afterwards. It's not about racing for your clothes and sticking on as many layers. We were still in our soggy swimwear quite a few minutes afterwards. Just explain the the theory behind the the warming of the body again. So I always say your core is like a furnace and that spreads heat to the rest of your body. So when you rush to redress, you're inactive, you're not moving. So that furnace is just getting colder and colder. So the most important first step is to get moving, to fire up your muscles, keep that core furnace fueled up and warm. Unless it's minus 12 and blowing a gale, then I would encourage people to first get dressed and then go into their rewarming. But actually, otherwise, focus on your rewarming. Some people, when they get dressed, take up to 10 minutes to get redressed. You're not moving, so you're just losing heat. So investing in movement is going to produce much more heat than investing in faffing with clothes. The same when you're wild water swimming at your other location in Surrey, you've got a fire there, haven't you? And I suppose the temptation is to do your wild water swimming, come out, put your bobble hat on and curl up by the fire. But again, it's movement, isn't it? To, yeah. to warm your body properly. For me, I always think, gosh, I don't know how they do that. That's really hardcore. So for me, if I've had a challenging swim, I get out, I do some movement, then I gradually redress, then I get my flask of hot tea and then I go hiking. <laughs> <laughs> and I think people are like, oh my God, she's on to the next activity. But it, it's my rewarming process. So for me, it's an internal firing up of heat rather than relying on an external force is going to be always much more effective. When you talk about all the things you do on the expedition, have we moved a long way, Belinda, from 
what we're supposed to be in terms of we live in homes that are centrally heated, although not very well centrally heated given the energy prices right now. But have we moved away from how nature really designed us to be? Yeah, from from early man, we were designed to have extremes of challenges of temperature, of environment. These are hermetic stresses, we call them. And it triggers some biological cellular changes within our body. And if you live in this constant environment where you don't have these challenges, you're not triggering all these healthy responses. So that that response would repair cells and tissues, increase mitochondria, calcium, antioxidants, growth proteins. But if you live in this constant controlled environment, you don't have those peaks and troughs of temperature and you're not triggering these cellular responses. Is it the same with food as well and why intermittent fasting's very good for you? Because I suppose in early man, we go perhaps a few days without any food. Hermetic stresses are extreme cold, extreme heat, so saunas. And I think we're starting to see some recognition, definitely in the UK, where I've seen a few articles just recently on the benefits of heat therapy. Nordic countries are way ahead of us on that one. Intermittent fasting Again, as you say, perfect hermetic stressor and high intensity interval training, also a perfect hermetic stressor as well. If we haven't got an ice bath like you have in your garden, Melinda, or our water at home, it's tricky to get low enough. Can we incorporate turning the shower cold at the end of a shower? Can we all get health benefits from that? Yeah, that science study I was talking about, you could see the benefits even at 20 degrees. So I work with obviously very low temperatures and it's lovely to have those big surges of hormones, but you're still getting the benefits from going cold in whatever environment you're in. For me, before I had sort of my home set up, I would treat it as a therapy or a class, a bit like I would pay 15 pounds, for example, to go to a yoga class. I would say, okay, for 15 pounds, I can get 30 kilos of ice and I'm going to pop it in my bath on a Sunday. And I would really feel the benefit from doing that. So there are always ways you can go around it. And is it difficult to say how often you'd need to do it to be beneficial? Because I presume it depends on the individual and you can build up your time. How often and how long do you embrace the cold for on a typical week? There have been studies that have been shown for an ice bath, so obviously going to that very low temperature, you can get the benefits lasting for up to six days. So it's not like you get the benefits for an hour and then it falls off a curve. So you don't have to be doing it every day. I would also say if you're feeling a bit depleted in your energy levels or you're struggling with something, sometimes it can really boost you. But also it's a bit like running. You know, you don't run a marathon every day. So you need to moderate your practice according to your, obviously your your cold adaptation and what's going on in life. But for me, it's an amazing tool. I'm training to be an advanced instructor at the moment. So I know I have some big challenges ahead of me. So my practice at the moment is varying a bit, but I do have days where I'm doing 20 minutes, say at one degree. Um, It's not my everyday practice. And certainly for anyone at home, it doesn't need to be your everyday practice. And as a starting practice, I would really encourage people to do a couple of minutes and build up from there. But for a shower at home, I would really invite people to go in with a different mindset. Instead of bracing yourself, have a little check-in, remind yourself of why you've chosen to do this and set yourself, not a time, but say body parts. Say you're going to have a really warm shower, enjoy it, turn it to full cold, put your left arm in, rub up and down. That touch helps reassure your body and your mind that you're okay, you know what you're doing. Put your right arm in, then put your chest in, one leg in, the other leg in, 
and then you're out. So you know you've achieved it. And the next day you can always say, I'm going to do two rounds of that, or I'm going to do a twirl around, or I'm going to do a bit of a dance and make it a little bit light for yourself rather than standing there gripping all your body parts and saying 10, 9, 8, and giving yourself this awful countdown. It's, it's shifting that mindset to make it something positive. It's, it's for your benefit and you can make it enjoyable. It's not supposed to be a punishment. And the benefits at the end, isn't it? If you were in a steam room and sauna and interspersing that with short bursts in a cold shower, you always end cold, don't you? Always end cold. When you're doing hot and cold, you're really giving your, your tissues like a massage equivalent and it's great for lymphatic drainage. Ending on cold just means you continue those cold benefits coming through to your body. You've got ice off to a, a tea, both here at your home studio and also by the lake, haven't you? Yeah, it becomes a little bit of a science. I always say to people, you know your water temperature. I'm like a walking dictionary of water temperatures. <laughs> um, you can get a meat thermometer on Amazon for pounds and then you know the temperature you're training at. Big blocks of ice are much more efficient to knock that temperature back. I tend to put those in for a couple of hours to knock the temperature down and then put ice on top. If it's warm ish water and you put ice in, it'll just melt very quickly and you'll only lose, you know, maybe a degree on the temperature. So there is kind of a, a cake recipe to making it nice and cold. And it also helps with our brown and white fat. She says confidently trying to sound knowledgeable at this point. I do remember something fascinating about white and brown fat. So we are all born with brown and white fat. Little babies have a much higher percentage of brown fat because they don't have a shiver reflex, so they can't keep themselves warm. Brown fat keeps you warm because it's packed full of mitochondria, and those are your energy cells, whereas white fat is just a storage of fat. As we go from a baby through to getting older, we lose brown fat and we get more white fat. And it was always thought you just lost your brown fat and you could never get it back again. But it's actually been proven through cold therapy and other techniques that you can actually increase your brown fat ratio. Brown fat increases your metabolism, so it keeps you young, fit and healthy in terms of your metabolism. And obviously there's a link then to, to weight loss and um, not storing all that white fat as well. Let's just end by finding out what's in store when you go to Poland on the advanced course, or perhaps you don't even know what's in store. There is no plan, they say, which is pretty hard for me because I'm a big planner. So I don't actually know what's in store for me and they like to keep it that way. I have been told that we might have to do half an hour at one degree. That's, <laughs> so a lot of us are training up our times to try and get to that point. Sometimes uh, they do things at night. So in the dark, again, dark is quite challenging. I find going into the water in the dark is quite challenging for me. I know we have the mountain to climb in our swimwear. So that's that's a definite on the list. But the rest, I don't know. And yeah, I'm kind of trying to be open to it and go with that and have the confidence to know that I can show up for those challenges. You are such a good advert for it, Belinda. You radiate health and energy and enthusiasm your eyes are twinkling and I'm glad that you found it and that it helped you after you had lived the attack and I know you still work in the medical industry which is great as well it must be a lovely balance my mind's really buzzing with knowledge and, and a desire to actually come on one of those expeditions good luck with your trip to Poland and thank you for making the whole experience so fun and really really inspiring as well it was uh, it was great thank you so much oh thank you it was so lovely to share it with you 
Belinda runs four-hour courses teaching the Wim Hof method and I really do urge you to give it a go. They're at her home in London or by a lake in Surrey and I promise you you'll leave feeling incredible. You can find out more by checking out Belinda's website wimwarriors.com or perhaps find her on Instagram at wimwarrior. Don't forget to download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search The Convex Conversation on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. I'll be back next week wearing more than a swimsuit and hopefully a good few degrees warmer. Join me then.